In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder how many times have you heard your parents or any adult profess, if all of your friends jumped off a mountain, would you do it too? Growing up with these words of wisdom in my household as a kid, I cannot count the times my parents used this phrase. It certainly eventually caused me to stop and think about if I wanted to be a follower or a leader. Gradually, I began to experience and appreciate what my parents were trying to share with me. And I eventually learned for myself what they wanted was for me not to follow always, but to learn how to lead and move forward. However, quite often, most of us, if not all of us, desire to fit in, especially when we were growing up. Perhaps if we have learned anything along our Christian journey, surely we have realized that as Christians, we were born again to be made anew in the likeness of Christ. We were born again to be distinct, to be set apart with hearts motivated by love. I believe one of Jesus' greatest lessons and gifts for us was when he prophesied that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. From the heart, we grieve, we rejoice, we show compassion. Therefore, the heart is the center of our moral and spiritual lives. We strive to make decisions and commitments from the heart. The mind matters, but it is a heart more than anything else which moves us into action. Jesus knew well that behind any overt action lies one's character and motives. He knew that all types of behavior would flow from the heart. And in order to make practical his interpretation of what it means to fulfill the law of love, Jesus pointed to adultery as one of the forbidden relationships that are set in motion by the desires of one's heart. Contrary to contemporary thinking on this particular hot-button issue, Jesus did not place the blame on women. The problem, he said, is simply within one's heart. So he did not warn his followers about women. He warned them about themselves. And to reinforce his warning, he employed an intentional exaggeration for a dramatic effect to make his point about the necessity of purity in the Christian life. Surely no one in their right mind would take issue of forbidden fruit lightly. Well, yet Adam and Eve took God's command lightly, and we all know just how that worked out for them. Throughout our lives, we have learned through experience that one misstep can often lead to another. Jesus thought and taught this as well. He pointed to ways in which we could relate by using simple daily living experiences. At some point in life, 
I believe we grow into the knowledge and realization that obedience is not just about knowing God and doing his will. When we each said, I do, to Jesus, we became united with him in the bond of love. We entered into a covenant relationship that has boundaries. There is no way to stay within the boundaries of righteous living without staying in a right relationship with God, whom we know is life, salvation, and sanctification. If you remember, Jesus has already stated that the purpose of his ministry was in no way to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. In Matthew, we find that Jesus begins to flesh out exactly what he means. He seeks to bring the Old Testament law and teaching into its fulfillment by expounding its inner intent and purpose for the people of his day. In fulfilling the law, he fills it up with meaning, demonstrating how it reveals to us the will and purpose of God. And it is for this reason that the Israelites meditated upon the law, seeking not just to keep it, but to understand its meaning. Throughout Matthew, we find a series of statements such as, you have heard, or that it was said, or but I say. In doing this, Jesus in no way seeks to undermine the importance of authority. He is stating the inner intent of the law and the spiritual significance Notice that his sayings in some verses do not really relax the law. In fact, they make them more demanding. In Jesus' teachings, the issue is not maybe just about murder, but also about destructive anger and rage. In his teachings, the issue is not always just about adultery, but the lust that turns people into objects. The issue is not just the words of an oath, but the issue of basic honesty. Jesus seeks to establish among his disciples a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, not more meticulous, but more in line with the will and purpose of God. And we must remind ourselves what his perspective on the law really was. When Jesus is asked, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He replies this way, you shall love the Lord with your, all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In light of this, we might expect that Jesus' explanation of the inner meaning of the law and the prophets would show us how these laws and teachings reflect the law of love. His words are emphatic. This is said to be a very shocking way of talking, especially in the midst of a people who have cherished the inspiration and truthfulness of its Torah. Of the Torah, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to people long ago. Jesus now stands before them as a new authoritative interpreter of the ancient Torah's instructions. And it is important that we recognize the implicit claim to authority being made here. Wesley once commented, murder is a sin, but so is hatred. Hatred devalues human life. 
Hatred says to another person, you fool. And here's the problem. Who has not done this? Do we also expect to avoid the judgment of God because we have never physically hurt anyone? Jesus says, think again. Hatred directed toward another human being, also created in the image of God, is subject to the judgment of God. And I believe Jesus means exactly what he says. Such hatred is to have no place in our lives. It was also apparently a custom to hedge one's answers by oath, by saying things like, I swear by my head, I swear by God's throne, and so forth. Jesus says our answers should be straightforward and true. We should keep our oaths or not give them. We are not to deceive others, and it is not God's will that we be people of truth and not faithfulness. And so here is how Jesus begins to flesh out what he means by not abolishing the law, but fulfilling it. The law has a spiritual intent. It is not simply a list of rules we must keep so that God will not get mad at us. It is spiritually formative. That is why it is good to always meditate on God's law, to perceive the inner meaning behind the commands themselves. For it is faith, hope, and love that truly establishes God's law throughout our lives. There is a famous story told about a comedian, W.C. Fields. Mr. Fields was an atheist. But on his deathbed, a friend walked into his room and caught Fields thumbing through a Bible. The friend naturally asked Mr. Fields what he was doing, and his prompt reply was, I'm looking for loopholes. It, it would be understandable after reading today's gospel for any of us to try and look for loopholes. After all, are we really liable for judgment just for being angry with someone? And Jesus can't really mean that we should tear out our eye or cut off our hand if they cause us to sin, can he? Where are the loopholes to these extreme statements? Or if there aren't loopholes, how are we to understand what Jesus is teaching us from where we stand today? And it all begins with an attitude toward the law. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of my commandments and teaches other people to relax them shall be called least in the kingdom of God. My sisters and brothers in Christ, we are living in a time when people feel you can believe in Jesus and still do what you think is right. Believe in Christ and you determine your own sense of morality. Believe in Christ and you figure out what you think is important. Today, we live in an age where people feel they have their own closeness to God and they don't need an intermediary. Some think that they are the final authority as to what is right and wrong. Don't tell me what is right and wrong. Don't impose your values on me. I am the person who determines which things are right or which things are wrong. And so we live in an age where Christians say that I believe in Jesus Christ, but I will do what I think is right. Today many struggle with who is that 
Who, does, who has my true allegiance? And the answers reside as close to us as our whisper. Yet I believe we still have much work to do among one another before we can take a good look at where we are with our, on our walk with Christ. And sometimes we also have to be honest about what it is that truly stands between ourselves and God. And how can we pave a clearer path to the throne of grace where mercy and love abides? For it is there where we will truly know who God is and who God should be in our lives each and every day. And for that, we should proclaim loudly, thanks be to God. Amen.